Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig Rosella, and I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. How are we doing today, Brandon? Uh, doing good, but uh, a little disappointed the season's over. Um, but we look forward to our bowl game. Yes, it was definitely a quick season. I can't believe it's over personally. I swear we were just getting ready for the season mm-hmm. just yesterday. Penn State beat Rutgers 27-6. Wasn't a pretty, pretty win by any means. But Penn State was able to secure a 10-win season, which is a huge accomplishment, obviously. It's the third time in four seasons that Penn State won 10 games. And with a bowl game coming up, whether it's a New Year's Six or a, you know, an Outback Bowl or a Citrus Bowl, Penn State also has the opportunity to get their third 10 wins, or third 11-win season rather in four seasons as well. And yesterday with the win at home, they also secured another unbeaten season at home which is also their third season in four years of an unbeaten season at home. Great year overall for Penn State, in my opinion. Yeah, you can, I mean, you just can't be disappointed where the, pro, where the program's at right now. You know, there's a lot of... Franklin gets a lot of criticism, but, I mean, the places that he's brought this program over the past couple of years is just really impressive. I mean, 11-win seasons, 10-win seasons, the Big Ten Championship, and, you know, again, basically transitioned from one of the best quarterbacks in... Penn State history to, you know, Sean Clifford, and you almost don't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, you come up with another 10-win season, as you said, with a chance to make it 11. Yeah, so, um, you know, we'll get to a, a bowl game, obviously, and we'll preview that. Um, we're not really here to talk about the Rutgers game yesterday. Like we said, it wasn't a pretty one, but we're more so doing a season review. You know, Penn State had a nice year, 10-2. and two. Obviously missing out on a Big Ten championship game next week in Indianapolis. But if you look at it, they lost two games on the road to teams that are in the top 15 right now. Ohio State being number one. Then Minnesota, will they'll find their place in the rankings. They obviously lost yesterday at home to Wisconsin. But, you know, it was, it was a, a good year overall. Penn State won the games they were supposed to win. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, came up just short in the ones that, you know, you know they lost. So... Um, so what we'll do is we'll get into some of our things that we like this year, talk about some of the, the recent news with players in the program, and then also we'll talk about some of the seniors that Penn State had play their final game at Beaver Stadium yesterday. But first, before we get into that, I want to start with the big news after the game where Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth announced he's coming back. Now, even though he's a true sophomore, he's technically eligible for the NFL draft this year because he played five years of high school football, and one of those years was at a prep school, and that allowed him to declare for the NFL draft if he chose to. But fortunately for Penn State, fortunately for the fans, he did not. He wrote a letter on Twitter, and it looked like it was done by the Penn State graphic design team where they made a very nice layout, put a nice picture of Pat Fryermuth up, and here is what Pat Fryermuth had to say. He said, Dear Nittany Nation, in the past couple weeks it has come to light that I am able to declare for the 2020 NFL Draft. After discussing this opportunity with my family, coaches, and other loved ones, I have decided to return to Penn State for my junior year. The brotherhood and family atmosphere in this program is something that I am not ready to leave. The culture Coach Franklin and the staff have created here is something very special, and I love being a part of it. It is also important to me to achieve my goal of getting my degree from one of the most prestigious universities in the country. 
As always, thank you to the amazing supportive fan base who always comes wherever we are playing to show their support for Penn State football. We truly do have the best fans in the country. Time to get back to work. Dot, dot, dot. Pat Fryermuth. Very nice letter uh, from, from Fryermuth. And, you know, you think about it, he's a true sophomore captain at Penn State. That's a huge deal. Basically, if you're, you're James Franklin, you're showing that to all the recruits when you go to the living room. This is, this is a Penn State guy. This is a model type of player for the program. And, uh, you know, Fryermuth put that on display last night on Twitter. Yeah, I'm really happy to see him come back because he's just a huge part of this offense. And, you know, moving forward into next year, um, he's the kind of guy you're going to want to see on the field. And as far as the the comments about the culture, like you said, I love to hear that kind of thing because, you know, we saw earlier in the week, you know, Justin Shorter entered the transfer portal. And, I mean, even over the off season, there was a lot of calls that, you know, Penn State might have a culture problem because there was, you know, so many, so many yes. people that entered the – so many players that entered the transfer portal. Um, so it's nice to see, you know, someone like him come out and kind of uh, – talk about how he likes the culture and he doesn't we don't have a culture problem and he likes how franklin has kind of built up the program absolutely and i also like the part about his degree um obviously you know we're both college graduates graduate college is a huge deal huge accomplishment throughout life and pat firemuth is looking to achieve that goal in the coming years mm-hmm. um so that was a huge news from yesterday penn state gets one of the top tight ends in the country back and uh so Moving on to some players that won't be back for Penn State. Nice little segue there. We had senior day yesterday. Penn State had a, a, a nice showing for their seniors. They had a lot of fun with it. I know um, Nick Yuri had walkout music where he had the Pokemon theme song, <laughs> which is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and a good way for the seniors to go out, obviously, with the victory yesterday. But there's definitely going to be some seniors that we miss. Um, you know, so... We'll, I guess we'll dive into some guys that were excited for their future or, you know, we're going to miss them. You know, Who's your guy, Brandon? Okay, so my guy is Blake Gillikin, uh, the puncher. Um, I don't think really people realize how much of a, a huge loss he's going to be when, not when he's gone. Um, he's just He was just a very consistent puncher who had a huge leg. Um, and, you know, field position battle is, is a big part of the game, and he was always – you can always count on him when you needed when you needed a good punt, um, when you're backed up, or uh, just certain situations where you know you need a guy like that to kind of you know calm the nerves of everybody and and really help the game. And I think that uh, you know punting is something that people don't really pay attention to that much. And I think that they ought to realize that Blake Gillikin had an impact on almost every single game in more ways than he probably expected. I think that's a great pick, and you know, Gilkin's somebody that we don't talk about enough. No, because he's he didn't struggle. He did not struggle. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I thought he had a nice year. You look at him too. He's a four O student, I believe. Like he, he's insanely smart. Yep. And um, you know, he also has been a captain at Penn State for a while now, and that, that's a huge deal. These are like with firing you. You have these guys that are model type of people that Penn State wants in their program and James Franklin can go to a high school kid's living room and say you know yeah we have some great players they do they really do mm-hmm. but Blake Gillikin Pat Fryermuth guys like that and you say you know you look at a parent's eyes and you're like do you want your kid to be this kid a 4-0 <laughs> student a captain right. you know somebody right. that you know Gillikin's come out and spoken in support of James Franklin calling him underappreciated coach and you know I think Blake Gillikin's somebody that not just on the field impact, but also locker room 
and just leading by example. Yeah, I wish him the best, really, honestly. I think, you know, you could say what you want about punters in the NFL, um, but I think that he'll be successful in the NFL, and he'll probably go on to have a pretty pretty long career. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to go a little bit off the grid here, and it's something that I don't think anybody had on their radar coming into the season, and that's tight end Nick Bowers. Mm-hmm. Now, the numbers don't really stand out. Uh, he had only 10 catches this year, but... Of those 10 catches, three of them went for touchdowns. He had 214 yards receiving, which comes out to 21.4 yards per catch, which is very, very impressive for a tight end. He had the highest yards per catch average among any receiver on Penn State who had more than 10 catches. Dan Chisena had 22 yards per catch, but only had three catches all year. So, you know, Nick Bowers had a very, very nice year. And... You know, kind of in a limited role, he's the backup tight end. Fryermuth is really good, obviously. But when he was on the field, he had an impact. He was a very good red zone target. And I think Nick Bowers, he's not necessarily peaking right now in college. He played a little bit this year. He didn't play too much in the years past. But I think if a team in the NFL is looking at him, they see his athleticism, his height, his size. He definitely showed the ability to block as well. Because when Pat Fryermuth was going out for a pass doesn't necessarily mean that Nick Bowers was. Mm-hmm. And he had a saying in block and pass protection and, and run blocking. But I think a team could see his skill set and say, we could take a chance on him. And he could pan out. And, you know, you just never know. You, you don't just see six five tight ends that can run like a deer. And Nick Bowers proved he could do that. So I think if some NFL team takes a, a late-round flyer on him or he gets picked up through the undrafted free agency process... I think Nick Bowers could have a chance to, you know, not only make an NFL team, but leave an impact, leave an impact for an NFL team. And we've seen Penn State tight ends have, you know, success, and maybe not so much yet because Mike Kosicki is on the Dolphins, and nobody's really having success on the (laughs) Dolphins right now. But, uh, you know, I think that you see Kosicki was a second-round pick, so you see that Penn State tight ends are, you know, valued in the NFL. And I think that Bowers could be the next one. Yeah, interesting pick. I Craigan wouldn't tell me who he was going to pick for that one, so it was interesting to hear what he was going to go with there. But yeah, he's the kind of guy that's just overshadowed by Fryermuth, obviously. So you know, you could be right. Um, you know, seeing that you know NFL team might kind of look at the tape and say, "Wow, I mean, you know, Fryermuth is good, but look at this other guy that's out on the field with him. You know, he has a good. He had a good season. He's an athletic mm-hmm. guy. You know, he could really help us in the future. So you know, we'll see. Hopefully, he has a a nice NFL career ahead of him. Yeah, he definitely stood out to me. He he, he left an impression, and he's somebody that um, you know I'll look back on and be like, wow. hopefully being like, wow, he he came from Penn State. And we didn't really use him too much. <laughs> All right, so you know we looked at the seniors, saw you know their impact. Obviously, there's 16 of them that are moving on. So for the season overall, we're going to take a look at a couple things we liked, a couple things we didn't like, and a couple things we want to see for, you know, whether it's improvement or things we just want to watch in 2020. So, Brandon, I will have you start with the one thing that you liked from this 2019 Penn State football team. Okay, so the one thing I liked, actually I loved it, was the special teams play. Um, so last year we saw coordinator Phil Galliano get released from the position. Yeah, I wouldn't say fired, but he <laughs> moved on. Yeah, he moved on, but... Let's be real. Last year, the special teams was just not good, and I think it was time for them to move on from him, um, and I was happy to see that. 
you know, and then they brought in Joe Lorig, who had you know tremendous success with the special teams at Memphis when he was there. Um, so when I saw that you know he was a successful coach with Memphis, I was like very excited because you know I, as I talked about before, like punting is part of special teams. Special teams is can impact the game in more ways than than one, and it's you know it's a very important part of it. And they just struggled so much last year that they really they really needed to to improve this year. Um, and really, I think he did that. I think they had a, a very good year. Um, and, you know, I was telling you this during the game yesterday, like special teams is one of those things where, you know, it's great um, when you don't really hear about them. And yes. we haven't heard much about them this year, which is a good sign because, mm-hmm. you know, last year they drew heavy criticism and, you know, much of it was deserved. So to hear to come out this year and kind of just have them play and not really hear anything about how bad they are or anything, which I think was a good thing. So that was what I love this year is that they made strong strides in, in that department, which is something that, as I said before, is something that is very important for to win football games. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That was definitely something that stood out this year. A definite, If we were doing this segment last year, special teams improvement would have been whether it was something we disliked or something that we wanted to see improve in 2019. Exactly. And it did. <laughs> um, you mentioned Dillikin earlier. Some other standouts, Jake Penninger. You know, he was very consistent as a field goal kicker. Jordan Stout, he was a weapon oh. on the kickoff unit. And he, his impact was felt right away. Yep, kicking out of the end zone almost every time he was out there, yes. which is exactly what you want to see. You don't want, you don't want guys returning things because anything can happen. Yes, and then um, with, relating to the special teams, I'll throw in one thing I did like about them and one thing I, you know, was kind of upsetting, and Franklin mentioned this. So one thing I did like, their punt coverage team was special. They were, they put the special in special teams. <laughs> they were outstanding. Dan Chisena led the way. You see, you know, he was a track star. You could see the speed. He gets down the field. First so guy down there, yeah. Every time he doesn't, he's a wide receiver, but he does not miss tackles. He was incredible. Uh, I think, you know, we mentioned Gilkin. I think Chisena is going to be somebody we miss next year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to have some athletes back, but Chisena was outstanding in his right. role. Um, but one thing I did not like, and James Franklin elaborated on this, I think, in a ton of his press conferences. So many penalties on special teams. Yeah. There was multiple times where KJ Hamler returned a kick, whether it's a punt or a kickoff, and you know you could say, well, you know the, the penalty happened, and that's why Hamler was able to score. But you could also say, with Hamler's ability, he might not need that penalty. Well, yeah, and there was a lot of situations where it was nowhere near the play, and it didn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was just you know just a little bit of uh, discipline that that needs to be cleaned up, but. Like you said, you know, a lot of times, you know, they could have gotten away with it, with not doing that and still mm-hmm. had the same result. Um, but hopefully, we'll see something cleaned up like that. That's just, to me, that's a small, that's a smaller detail. It's, you fix it too. Yeah, you fix it. Yeah. So, special teams definitely stood out this year. That's, that's a very, very good point. I'm glad that we didn't have to see the comments from our <laughs> fans about special teams this year. Yeah. Now, the part I was impressed with this year that I liked a lot. And we mentioned it briefly where we had to replace one of the top quarterbacks in Penn State history. Right. And we did very well with that. Sean Clifford had a very nice year. He looked like a, a commander of the offense. He he looked the part. He played the part. Um, looking at his stats for the season, he had a completion percentage of 59.5%, which I, you know, would you like it to be a little bit higher? Absolutely. There's there's some drops in there. There's drops in we'll, there. We'll get into there's, that. There's you know, 
the the play calling. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah, they're a big play offense, you know, and they hit on some big plays this year. He threw for over twenty five hundred yards, and that's in eleven games because he did not play yesterday, and he didn't play the second half of the Ohio State right. game. And he threw twenty two touchdowns, six interceptions, and three of those came in one game against Minnesota. And yeah, to that point, it had been a really uh, clean season. For yes, him. he was very efficient. So he threw the ball very well, and also. I don't think Penn State fans thought he would be so elusive in the running game as well. And he was outstanding in the running game. He was actually Penn State's second leading rusher, which once again, he only played in 11, I would say 10 and a half games he played in. He had over, he had 103 carries and 374 yards rushing, which that's a low average, only just you know 3.6 yards per rush. Mm-hmm. But... With the NCAA, they take into account for sacks and stuff like that. And but he he made a lot of mm-hmm. plays with his legs. I think a lot like the Indiana game, where like a third and nine, and he's able to scramble out because nothing's open downfield, and he kept that you know, that nine minute drive alive with his legs. That, that's so important and something that I thought going into the season that we would miss a lot from Trace McSorley and Sean Clifford. He was able to do you know he he did the same thing. He was yeah. able to made plays with his legs when he needed to. So I was very impressed with Sean Clifford. I was excited about him coming to the year. He showed a lot of promise last year, and he lived up to the bill for me. I was I was very pleased with Clifford. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does over the next year or two as well. Moving on, what do you have as something that you did not like this year? Yeah, so I just mentioned it briefly, but the receiver drops again were a problem. Um, I think I remember last year when we were doing this podcast at the end of this year, that was again one of the things I didn't like. Huge problem last year. The wide receivers still are struggling to hold on to the ball, um, and it's it's something that needs to be addressed because, you know, during some of the most important games of the season, you know, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, just like there's a lot of drops during some of the like biggest parts of the game, and you know that's the kind of thing that adds up. Like the little things add up to the point where they start impacting games. You know, whether it be you know, a, a drive that's moving down the field and then maybe there's like a third and five or something like that and, you know, you, you throw the ball past the sticks and into the guy's chest and he drops it, you know. Mm-hmm. The drive stalls, you're punting the ball and, you know, it, it could change the game, you know, because maybe you're, you're going to score that drive, you know. You need to be able to hold on to the ball, especially in situations like that, like a third down or something that important. You know, we saw back in, you know, 2016, I remember, you know, Godwin and... Gusecki, Gusecki, like all those guys, like they made the catches when they needed to. Um, and they didn't have those drops where um, even Hamilton, like he Hamilton was in, he, he was too. in that he was in that category too. They, those guys knew how to catch the ball and they didn't drop it in the most important times in the game, which is exactly what you need to see, you know, and exactly what you need to win the big games. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Godwin and Hamilton. God, I still think about Godwin's Rose Bowl. He. It's like he had magnets his hands. Like he was incredible. You see it now on our PSU and NFL piece every week. Chris Godwin's our player of the week every week. <laughs> he's having Brandon, a hell of a year. Brandon must be sick of watching Chris Godwin <laughs> highlights when he's making uh, these articles. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned that we had the coaching change at the receiver position last year. Um, we have Coach Parker in place now, and the unit was better than last year. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they improved a little bit. I'll, but, I'll say that. I mean. Not to rag on somebody who's not with the program anymore, but, geez, Justin Shorter was killer with the drops. I think of that Minnesota game, I, I predicted that he would have a nice game. It seemed mm-hmm. like they were trying to get him involved early, and the balls were hitting him right in the hands, going right through. He had 
I think he was the reason for the interception on the first drive where he had no adjustment to the ball. It's like, you're 6'5", man. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. And he, he had and that's, no ability to And that's that. also a big difference. Like, we just talked about Godwin. Like, he was huge with that. Like, if you want to throw mm-hmm. a ball up him and Gasicki, he could go up with the best of them yes. and just and, and grab Side a ball and everything. Yeah. All those guys could just, you know, not only just have short hands, but they could win battles when, when the ball's in the air. Absolutely. Or, I mean, we talked in our production meeting here about we're going to talk a lot of offense. I went with Clifford. Uh, Brandon just talked about the receivers. I'm going to move over to the running backs now. And it's not necessarily the performance of them, but I used to not like the way they were utilized. And it wasn't a surprise the way they were utilized. James Franklin did say at the beginning of the year he's going to use all four. But I thought by this time of the year that they would have a pretty good idea of who they're going to use. And that could have meant phasing out some, you know, one or two of the guys. Now, Noah Kane missed the final stretch of the season. He did not play too much. He did not play yesterday, I believe, correct? Uh, no, he didn't get in. Yeah. Um, he was, like, doubtful, and they said it was emergency only, which emergency only is <laughs> – James Franklin says that a lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Journey, Journey Brown, I thought, emerged at the end of the year. But I thought with his emergence, why not use him, like, all the time? You know what I mean? I thought it was kind of questioning how they use them. You know, even I'm thinking the – I'm not questioning the play call here with the, the two-point conversion that we went for against Minnesota. But why are we throwing the ball to Ricky Slade? <laughs> like, yeah. like, why are we using him in that situation? Like Ricky Slade, honestly, he had a disappointing year. He showed promise last year as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. He had a disappointing year. Um, just going through some of the stats for the, the Penn State running backs – Jordy Brown led the way. He had 113 carries, 688 yards. That comes out to over six yards per carry. He had 10 touchdowns. We saw his big playability. Obviously, you think about his high school career. He had a game, I believe, where he had over 600 yards, which is incredible. <laughs> um, you know, moving down the list here, Ricky Slade, 42 carries, 156 yards. That's less than four yards a carry. He only had two touchdowns. Although he he ran the ball well yesterday. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, he did. Um, moving to the true freshman, Noah Kane was impressive when he was on the field. Unfortunately, he, he did miss um, the final stretch of the season due to injury. He had 69 carries, 351 yards, just over five yards of rush, and six touchdowns. Devin Ford, 50 carries, 292 yards rushing, 5.8 average, two touchdowns. And he had that huge run first game of the season, correct? Yeah. 81 yards, I believe. Um, so that kind of accounts for a lot of his rushing yards, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and they weren't necessarily used too much in the, the passing game. Obviously, we, we had two special players in Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders, but they were involved in the passing game heavily, and these guys really weren't. You know, I, I thought it just it could have gone better with how we used them. And one good thing is I think Coach Siders is really, really good mm-hmm. with the running backs. I think they really like him and appreciate him. They have a little bit of personality with the Lawn Boys, but with their struggles towards the end of the year, we weren't really talking about the Lawn Boys. That wasn't that wasn't really, I guess, cool yeah. anymore. No, just, they kind of faded. Yeah, it, they they kind of lacked that personality. There wasn't a face of the position that we've seen in recent years. I I think that's something that I'd like to see become, I guess, more like finalized and, and something that more permanent, more permanent roles for these guys. I think it could be interesting. We talked about shorter in the Justin or shorter in the transfer portal. Right. You know, I think we might see one of the running backs in there. I think it's a possibility because 
you know, they, they talked about how they liked their roles. They were fine with them, but it, it could be just saying for the media. Yeah, you don't know what's I'm, going I'm on sure. internally. And all these guys are top recruits, too. So they might think they could play full-time somewhere. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, like you said, in the beginning of the season, Franklin said, you know, we're going to run with all four of them. You know, I thought that was just kind of something that he just said in the beginning of the year. And I thought that, you know, maybe by the middle of the year, you know, there was going to be a guy who emerged as the mm-hmm. as the top back and they were going to kind of roll with him. And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, Journey Brown was that guy. You know, they were still trying to mix in. Yeah, and then... I'm not the biggest fan of Devin Ford, and like you said, I don't really like the way they used all these guys at you know certain points. I remember the Minnesota game, you know, they're they had that was a first and goal, you know, yeah, and, and, the, and they bring in Devin Ford, who's the smallest back out of all four of them, um, to to run the ball up the middle twice mm-hmm. in a row. Um, just like interesting ways to use them that you know I didn't agree with either. You know, on this, I'm in the same boat as you i think that i'd rather see you know the position kind of be you know finalized you know going into the season just so everyone kind of knows their roles like mm-hmm. you know you you never know like every time the offense came out we never knew like who's going to be out there who's, who yeah. are they going to run this drive who's they going to run that drive and you know what's the reasoning behind them running this, this guy or them running that guy but i just think that it works out a lot better when everyone has their own role and they know what their role is yeah now i think one one thing i want to add to i thought it was funny, like, middle of the year, Noah Kane was impressive, and it seemed like the more the fan base clamored for Noah Kane and asked Franklin every week, somebody <laughs> asked Franklin at the press conference, Noah Kane, you get more run. And the more people asked about Noah Kane, it felt like the less and less he Franklin wanted to use him, yeah. And it was just kind of funny how that worked out. I don't, you know, it wasn't intentional, obviously. Like, Johnny Brown emerged, Kane not. got hurt. <laughs> it, it, just, it seemed coincidental that... Every time the fan base asked for Noah Kane, we got less and less of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so talked about the quarterback, talked about running backs, receivers. Let's talk about your area for improvement, the thing you want to see in 2020. Okay, what I want to see is better play calling, which means I want to see a new offensive coordinator. I've talked about this all year, um, all of last year, too. I'm just, I'm really just, I've lost faith in Ronnie's ability to lead this offense. You know, you know some of the red zone calls and, you know, the calls when they're trying to run the clock down, just really questionable. And, you know, a lot of times throughout the year, they just flat out lacked creativity. And I think that become, makes the offense just become way too predictable. I think he's trying to get, like, the same kind of look that Joe Moorhead's offense, which was, you know, the big play offense. And not you're not the team that's going to, you know, grind down the clock and go mm-hmm. for you know seven, eight minute drives or that kind of thing. You know, you, you're gonna you're gonna score quick. You're gonna score and you're gonna score quick. You know, and I like in that sense, I like that he knows and he has an identity. But I still think that he just lacks creativity, and I don't really think that he's the um, the the guy for the job. See, I'm gonna disagree with you on one point there. You said that you did mention that you know he's trying to form his offense to the Joe Moorhead um, type of style. but And you said that, um, you know, that he, he kind of has his own, you know, I guess, identity. I think he doesn't have an identity. I think that he, there's a lot of times where he just resorts to, okay, well, I'm not really sure what to call here, so let's just run everybody deep and see what happens. <laughs> and it seems like there's times where he doesn't necessarily know what he wants to do. And, you know, I think he, I, I kind of think he lacks an identity of what he, He's good at as an office coordinator. You know, I think because I'm looking at Ohio State yesterday, watching them. Their offense is 
obviously amazing. And under Urban Meyer, I believe they're the same way where they ran everything out of the shotgun, just like Penn State does. But then you watch them yesterday, and you watch them all year. They're Like I said, they're impressive. But Ryan Day is the office coordinator now, and you see Justin Fields taking snaps under center. You know, that's definitely different from the Urban Meyer type of regime. He has his own spin on his offense. They do a couple different things. I'm not saying Penn State needs to go under center. I'm saying that Ricky Ronnie needs to have his own identity. He can't be Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead's Joe Moorhead. He's at Mississippi State. But I think Ricky Ronnie needs to have his own identity. I think whoever the offensive coordinator is in 2020, there needs to be a true identity of what the play call is, you know, what they want to do, all that type of stuff. So I agree. There needs to be improvement. I don't think Ronnie's mm-hmm. there to go anywhere. Whether I honestly, like not. I don't think he is either. You know, I said this before. I don't really, I don't want him to be here next year. But we talked about this in a, you know previous podcast. You know, like this this hire for Franklin was a loyalty thing. Yes, and I don't think that you know he's ready to move on from him just yet because of that fact. Yeah. Now I think things could change with the bowl game. I think we we saw a lot of changes happen last year right after the bowl game. And I think, you know, if Penn State comes out and plays on offense like they did in the Fiesta Bowl in the first game of Ronnie's uh, career as the offensive coordinator at Penn right. State, we could be, I think we're going to be seeing him in 2020. <laughs> but if it's a struggle and, you know, we're kind of inept on offense and we're just not looking good with our full array of weapons healthy and four weeks to prepare, I think you're, there's going to be a lot of heat on Penn State football program to seek a change at offensive coordinator. But yeah, so like I said, just probably not um, realistic. But if if I had to pick something that I would want to see change for next year, that's that is the biggest thing. All right, so sticking to the offense once again, <laughs> we're mentioning play calling, uh, personnel, things like that. The thing I want to see in twenty twenty is the ability to, and more so in the passing game, being able to use all the weapons on the field. We had a huge problem this year with looking at two guys every time on offense, which they're two great players, but it was very, very predictable what Penn State wanted to do in terms of looking in the passing game and who they were targeting. Um, And those two guys are, like I said, they're special players, K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth. Hamler had 54 catches for 858 yards, eight touchdowns. He's obviously very explosive in the short passing game, the deep passing game. He's just an explosive player. He has a bright future. I hope he does not leave for the NFL. Because I think <laughs> him and Fryermuth can form a very dynamic duo right. next year. Um, and then you have Pat Fryermuth who had 41 catches, 468 yards, 11.4 yards per catch, and seven touchdowns. And he's, I believe, tied with Mike Jacecki for most touchdowns by a tight end in Penn State history two years in, um, <laughs> which is incredible. But you go down the list here, and you look at the other options, and Jahan Dotson had a couple big plays. He had one yesterday, but he had 24 catches on the year. Journey Brown is next, 13 catches. Shorter had 12 catches. Slade had 12. Bowers at 10. You know, there's just not a lot of production in, you know, past firing with a handler. And Mm -hmm. it just got very predictable at times what Penn State was going to do on offense, I thought, outside of play calling. I think just you know who they're going to target, and it almost seemed like, John Clifford was not looking at any of these guys. And I think we, t- we talked about almost like a glory days type of thing. With We talked about the 2016 team 
But I'm just thinking about the the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin. You have Jasicki making plays. You have Hamilton making plays. You have Godwin. who Godwin kind of had a quiet game in comparison to his other games. Mm-hmm. But he was a, a great, reliable option. And you had Blacknall. Blacknall had that two game. huge catches yeah. for touchdowns. And so Trace McSorley was spreading the wealth. Oh, and not to mention he had the best running back in the country in the backfield <laughs> with him catching balls, too. Exactly. Um, you know, they had a wide that's five array di- of That's options. five different guys for the yes. defense to, to have to, sh- yes. to cover. Absolutely. And you can't do that. You cannot do that when Penn State is so athletic and just running all over the field, and you can't just keep up with them. You can't keep up with those type of guys. And I think that this year it was very difficult to spread the wealth, and I would I would like to see that happen next year where we – we have some guys emerge and, you know, really step up so that we have a, a wider option, a wider array of options to look at down the field in the passing game. Yeah, not not that I think this is why, but, um, you know, like we just talked about the drops before. You know, I don't think this is why he didn't target those other guys, but it's funny because Dotson last year was one of the only guys that would that was like Caught pretty shorthand. Yeah, he was catching everything <clears> and, you know, this year, you know, he's when he's throwing, you know, so he's throwing some big balls to Dotson and, you know, a couple to shorter, and you know they're dropping it. Right. <laughs> it's yeah, you know, I'm I'm not saying that Clifford's you know doesn't want trust them, and that's why he hasn't gone through them, um, but I think that's kind of part of it. Yeah, I I agree, and you could count you like I think you could chalk this up to their their young. Um, Dotson's a sophomore. Shorter was a, a redshirt freshman. Um, Hamler's a redshirt sophomore, Fryermuth is only a true sophomore. So they're they're young on the offense, which is why people are so excited about them heading into next year. But somebody has to emerge as another option aside from Hamler and Fryermuth. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the big play guy, a thousand yard guy. It needs to be somebody reliable, reliable where, yeah. where it's third and four and okay, we can look away from those guys. We could throw to a Dotson and say all right, we're going to pick up the first down here. He's going to catch the ball, yeah. Yes. And then, and that helps the offense tremendously because, you know, the defense doesn't, you know, can't just, like, say, oh, well, these two guys are who they're going to throw to. We're going to put all our guys on this guy, you know. It just mm-hmm. gives the, the defense another guy to have to keep track of, which yeah. could really help the offense moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think you would you'd see more uh, wide-open opportunities for guys like Hamler and Fryman. Yeah. Which be great <laughs> it'd be great <laughs> obviously yeah um so i think it's kind of like a, a give and take type of thing where you might be taking away from the two top targets but you're going to be giving them opportunities to make even bigger plays as well yeah and and then that and not just them like personally but the offense as a whole is going to be better if, if they mm-hmm. could if they could spread the wealth as you said before absolutely so i mean very very offensive heavy uh podcast here today obviously looking back on this 2019 team once again, another 10-win season, very impressive year from Penn State. And I think this is a team that, coming into the season, Penn State fans didn't have incredible expectations for. They, they didn't think they were a playoff team, and then all of a sudden the first rankings are out and we're number four. Right. Um, you know, We started the season at 15, and I think a lot of Penn State fans thought 8-4, and 9-3 and three type of range. Yeah, I thought, you know, especially with the transition to a new quarterback, it mm-hmm. wasn't going to go as well as the past teams, but, you know, they really they really did have a good season. Yep, and you look at some of their wins, you know, I saw yesterday the, the Buffalo, their running back had over 1,600 yards and 20 touchdowns on the year. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know, they played them, they handled them in the second half of that game. Um, they beat Pitt. Pitt had a, a decent year. They kind of 
fizzled out at the end of the year, though. Um, they did beat the two-time defending national champion UCF, though. Right. It did. They did. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they played, you know, they, they played a, a, a bunch of good teams yep. and, and were able to come out with wins, which is, is, is impressive. So. I think Franklin said it in one of his press conferences that including the bowl game, Penn State's looking at ranked opponents in six of their last eight games, and Indiana is one of them that wasn't, and they went eight and four this year. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, they were on, like, they were ranked in the AP poll, like, they were pretty good, and Michigan State, actually, I think Indiana was ranked uh, AP poll, they just weren't ranked in the college football playoff rankings. Yeah. I'm thinking Michigan State, which is always a tough opponent on the road, and the weather was awful that day. And then Rutgers yesterday at home, obviously. It yeah, was a tough schedule. I saw, you know, I saw another tweet yesterday that said it. Uh, you know, all in all, Penn State had a good season considering they probably played almost fifty percent of their team games were against uh, ranked teams. Yep. So that's that's impressive to to come out with a ten and two record when you play that many uh, good teams, if yep. you will. No, that's what we want as Penn State fans. We want to see them play good teams. We want to beat good teams. And we'll definitely have the opportunity to do that next year. I think heading into next year, I don't. I know people don't like preseason polls and things like that, but I think it's very easy to say that Penn State will be in the top ten in most polls, if not all. And then you can even maybe even think of top five, depending on who they how lose. they do. And yeah, um, you know, maybe maybe they're one of the teams that gets a guy in the transfer portal. I don't know. Um, we shall see what happens. But overall, great year for Penn State. You know, you could be disappointed in the two losses, obviously, but I think that's where our program's at right now, where the two losses get, you know, kind of emphasized because you want to win everyone, and Penn State has the opportunity to win everyone because they are that good right now. Yeah, they're right there. That's the that's the biggest thing is that, you know, people can be upset that they're losing these games, but they're in these games, which is mm-hmm. is is what you all you can ask for at this point, especially when you have a young team like this and. A young team like this is only going to get better. So, good things to come. Yeah. Now, we have to wait to see what bowl game Penn State will be in. Hopefully, it's a Rose Bowl opportunity. That would be incredible for the program. Obviously, we went after the 2016 Big Ten Championship season, and that was one of the best Rose Bowls ever played. And, I mean, best games ever played in general. Would have been better if they won, Yes. yes, it was a great game. Yes, so very exciting opportunities ahead for Penn State. Um, As we go forward, we'll, you know, We'll get into the bowl game. We'll preview that. We'll do an off-season um, preview as well, what to expect, things we want to see, things like that. If you're not already, like our page on Facebook. It's at For the Glory of Old State. Also follow us on Twitter at For the Glory OOS. Once again, For the Glory OOS. And keep reading the website. We appreciate you guys listening, checking out our website every day. You know, we get a ton of reactions, and we're very, very thankful for that. Um, Hope you enjoyed. Have a good one.